Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm Rebecca Kinnestrand, Daniel Dadashi, and Pastor Katie McCollum-Soxie are with us um, today. Thanks for listening. Before we get into this, I actually wanted to say, if this is interesting to you and you're listening to this podcast, you should really check out all the online information, um, sermons. Oh, yeah. What else do we have, Danielle? Well, it's really well put together, if I do say so myself. But um, we have a... <laughs> Danielle does it. Yeah, I'm in charge. <laughs> um, we have full online worship, and we have for the whole pandemic. So if you go back, you can see all of the old sermons. But we also put together a weekly worship service that's designed for you to do in your house. We have kids' messages, and Pastor Katie records a special sermon just for people who are worshiping at home. It's really personal. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, so this theology is out there, and I have to say, you've been just knocking it out of the park, Pastor Katie. Your sermons are just beyond um, really interesting. I love the one about um, where you were talking about the camel through the eye of the needle. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's such an interesting story. I just have to say I never understood that thing. Like, So tell us quickly... You know, not the whole sermon, but just what? the part about the translation of that word and what the first of all, for people who don't know, describe that scripture. Yeah, so this is a story about Jesus and his encounter with a man who's just described as rich in the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. And the man comes to Jesus and says, How do I like live a good life? And Jesus says, Follow the commandments, and they have a little discussion. And then <clears throat> the man says, Yeah, I've done all that. And so Jesus says, Well, give away all your stuff. Mm. And the man goes away sad because he's not sure he can do that, which I can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, Jesus says this thing about how it would be harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Very famous. Very famous quote. Never quite understood. I was like, it must be hard for a camel. Very bizarre visual. (laughs) Very bizarre visual. And to me, it's an example of how the meaning of the Bible continues to evolve because there have been lots of interpretations over this over the years, including uh-huh. one where people believed that one of the gates in Jerusalem was literally called the eye of the needle. Okay. And in order, if it was a really tiny gate, and in order to get through it with your camel, you'd have to take all the stuff off your camel, and then maybe you could get. But huh. we now, scholars are now saying, eh, we don't, we don't really think that's true. But what might be true is that the word camel in Greek is only one letter different than the word rope. And they sound the same, right? So like we have those homonyms in English too. Mm -hmm. By context, you figure out whether I'm saying sale of a boat or I've gone to Target because something's on sale, Sale. but Mm -hmm. they sound the same, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's possible that in all of the oral tradition and passing down and, and, and writing from one scholar to another that somebody got one letter wrong. And if they did, because it sounds the same, camelos, then they might have changed the word camel, the word rope to the word camel. Interesting. And what's interesting to me about that is if it was a rope, could you get a rope through the eye of a needle? Well, the way that you could it would be to unravel it, right? To get rid of a lot of it, which is what Jesus has just told this rich man he needs to do. He needs right. to get rid of all the stuff that he's carrying around with him. Right. Now, 
20 years from now, somebody might say, oh, that's not true at all. Yeah. But it's cool, though. It's cool. Yeah. Um, and I, I like and it. And I do, for me, it is consistent with what Jesus is saying. And mm -hmm. I, I have been preaching for 22 years, and I had never read that interpretation. I found it, it was suggested by a colleague. And it just, like, mm. lit up right. my brain. And so I, I, it's one of the fascinating things to me about the Bible that it technically says the same thing, but every time we encounter it, it's different, and scholars continue to find out things about it, and it changes and moves and grows. And I just think that's great. I yeah, that. that's amazing. Um, that leads us into sort of our topic today. Last time we were talking, um, you had mentioned, well, we were talking a little bit about myths and things that come out of the Bible, things people think are in the Bible and aren't. And one of these was about marriage and you, but it led into the conversation of how the culture that is in the Bible, the people that were actually being preached at or to or taught, that culture evolved over the hundreds of years and we can actually trace that through the biblical books to change the original message. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well I think I think I've said this before, but one thing it's important to, to think about when reading the Bible is even though you have it as a book in your hands or on your shelf or whatever, it isn't a book. No. It's, a, it's a library or it's, I've heard also it referred to, it's a conversation. It's a conversation that's happening over hundreds and hundreds, uh, almost a thousand years. Mm. And so there are multiple cultures involved in the Bible. Right. And if you think about how much human life changes over even just one generation, and you're talking about, I mean, many, many, many generations. Um, it means that that the Bible tells, shows us how things change, how human culture changes. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think is complicated when people have a question like, what does the Bible say about fill in the blank, right? Marriage, yes. sex, abortion, uh -huh. um, homosexuality, homosexuality, mm -hmm. politics. Masturbation. Sure, you fill in the blank, right? <laughs> right, there's, anything. There's a, any questions. Is, well, which part of the Bible are you asking about? Because... The one from a thousand years ago? Right, or the one right? from... Like in the Bible, yeah. for example, there's a time in which men can have many wives. Many, many, many. Mm -hmm. um, Solomon had like 700 wives. So, Ooh. many wives. <laughs> too many. I don't know how that worked out. Let's not think too hard about it, right? Um, and then you get all the way to the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is basically saying to Christians, don't bother getting married. It's really not worth it. Um, and his perspective is Jesus is coming back any day now. So wow. he's like, only get married. <laughs> this is a paraphrase. Only get married if you're so in lust with somebody that you can't contain yourself. Right? Wow. Like you can't hold it back. Major props for the word in lust. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's basically what he's saying. And, and I have so, never heard that, by the way. I know, yeah. Either. My entire yeah. Biblical values tends to, life. family values doesn't mention that passage. No, it certainly doesn't. Um, but this, this happened, like you can see this evolving with gender. You can see this evolving with how power is used or households are organized. So, you know, is, is that, I don't think that can be bad if the things evolve and change, if the Bible itself is showing us that. I, I think that can be a really good and powerful thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of the trick is when people say, what does the Bible say about something? You gotta say, well, which part of the Bible? But part of the trick is also, 
but how is God active and at work right now, right? Like the Bible, we don't worship, I think I said this last time, we don't worship the Bible. Uh-huh. I think well, there's some a form do. of Christianity that uh-huh. makes the Bible an idol, to be honest Absolutely. With you. The Bible um, shows us, among other things, how God can be active right now in the world as we know it. So there's things we are dealing with now that the Bible, you know, what does the Bible say about nuclear weapons? Well, I mean, right. <laughs> or so, Twitter, you know, yeah, there's all kinds of specifics of our modern life that we can't just find a verse or a story, but can we find wisdom and, and challenge and, and guidance as we make our way through these complicated things? I sure think so. But we're gonna have to be kind of creative to listen to how God is working now too. The wisdom out there is that the Bible is this old, Mm-hmm. text and why are we yeah, looking for it anymore right, mm-hmm. right. who cares and we talked about last in our last episode about leaders and new leaders coming on board and maybe they have more modern wisdom mm-hmm. I think we also think of it as either all true or all false right and using very strict criteria of what is true or false mm-hmm. but as we were talking earlier the um, the sense of there are people who want to cling on to and say this is this to can't change and what you're saying is that it the culture itself is our culture changing the bible or and is that okay or how do we live within a culture that doesn't um, meet up to whatever these expectations of what the bible has said per se which you know it's interesting because you can even see that struggle within Particularly, yeah, within the whole Bible, Jews in the Old Testament are really struggling. How do they be a distinct people that God is and God has called them to be kind of weird, um, you know, like not to be of the world, um, and yet they live in they live in a culture, right? So, like, you can see them struggling with that. You can see early Christians struggling with the same thing. How do we follow Jesus? and do the kind of weird things Jesus wants us to do, but we also live in a culture. And you can see that tension through the Bible. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that we're still living in that tension. There yeah. is a, um, a very well-known theologian, um, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, who wrote about this some years ago, and he had these three primary, I'm gonna oversimplify a little bit, but modes of dealing with, with our faith and culture. One, he said, some of us, say that it's Christ against culture, like faith versus culture. Right. You have to choose one or you the other. You need to choose, right? yes. Other people say it's it's all mixed up together. Christ with culture, it's all the same. You know, you don't, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be faithful to, to put, pit them against each other. Um, and of course, like many people in the Andes has, you know, suggest there might be a third way that's a little more complex than just extremes on either end. Maybe we can hold two thoughts at the same time. What a thought. Yeah, like walking and chewing gum. I'm really, you know, these days it just feels like you can have one single thought and it is the pure thought and it is the only thought that there is. And uh, it's very annoying because my brain goes in a lot of different directions as I'm sure most of most of our brains do. You know, I it's interesting. The algorithms online are always finding what you're interested in. And so I'm, on Instagram, I follow a lot of progressive Christian accounts. And um, so sometimes you get con- context that is from progression, progressive Christians. But sometimes you get things that are aimed at progressive Christians. And oh, I get a lot of videos of um, people mocking the fact that progressive Christians 
seem to be the, the criticism is they're molding their beliefs to fit in with right. mainstream culture and how proud they are to fit in with non-Christians. And it's right. interesting how many of those videos pop up on my feed of... And that's an anti, they're saying that's bad. Yeah, they're saying that, look it up. Oh, You're like picking and choosing like a buffet. They're doing an impression of a progressive Christian making friends with all their non-Christians. How and, dare they be yeah. nice. <laughs> right, and that's the Christ against culture. Like yeah. in order to be Christian, you have to reject everything that's not specifically Christian or your version of Christian usually. Right. 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 And that's been a there are you can go back two thousand years and see all kinds of Christians who for whom that's their model. Huh. Right? You can't you have to totally reject the culture. Um, and for sure I think that's alive and well in our time. I think that's really, really important to delve into because I think that that's at the heart of a lot of people's uncomfortability with Christianity specifically right. and probably, you know, other religions, um, is that all or nothing approach. What I always found was that when you look at what Jesus said and did, it has nothing to do with that at all. On the contrary, he was like, everybody gets in. There's no line. Wherever there was a marginalized person, that's literally where he was sitting. Yep. So how did it move in that direction? Was that, is that a prevailing cultural, you know, drag essentially on the scripture? Yeah, yeah boy, that's a complicated question. I'm Sam. sure it is. <laughs> I mean, and I, I think I, I just have to acknowledge that I, I come at this from a, you know, white suburban American totally. lens. So I feel like there's Fair. so much more to that that I can't even begin to know. What I often hear people in, in this time and space say is that Christianity has to be this, this identity that's separate and apart from the world. It's Christian, mm -hmm. Christianity against the world. And I think, you know, you can, like with everything, right, you can, t you can find that idea in the scripture. So you can, like, look... In the Gospel of John, Jesus often talks about the world and how I, you know, I am here kind of set against the world. Yes. So if that's what you're looking for, you, you'll find it, mm. and you can take that and you can make that your your primary approach. Um, there's other places where, as you say, Rebecca, like Jesus spends a lot of time when he's criticizing people. It's pretty much always the people who make the rules, the people who have and the power, power. Mm -hmm. and the people who are abusing it and using it to exclude or harm or or whatever. So you can, you can say, oh, Jesus was critical of, of the, the abuses of his culture, but he, he lived in a culture. He wasn't trying right. to take people away from it. He was trying to, to make it a healthier, better you know, place to live. And like the prophets of the Old Testament, like how is the kingdom of God here among us right yes. now? Jesus mm -hmm. was not, for all that we think about it this way, maybe Jesus was pretty intently focused on how we live our lives now um, and giving us hope for life after death but he was he was pretty keen on what the kingdom of God looks like here huh so I don't think he you know he didn't spend all of his time saying you know forget the world just, right. just listen to me and do nothing with the world no he was worldly in that way he cared about people's physical and economic you know lives huh and isn't that one thing that can draw folks to specifically Christianity because Jesus was a living person and in the world. Yeah. That is said often in the Bible, I'm of the world, you know, I'm here with you mm -hmm. and I'm suffering 
yep. just as you do. Yeah. There's that solidarity. Yeah, of, um, I picked up some questions that spiritual non-religious folks often, oh, you know, are asking, and they're not necessarily myths, but they're, they're questions. And one of these kind of goes along with what we're talking about. Christians are otherworldly and irrelevant to modern life. Right. That's the way that spiritual non-religious people hmm. see Christians. And maybe that's what you're talking about, Danielle, where when they criticize of being like, oh, you're super friendly or you're not a real Christian, you're not acting really Christian, and so you're assimilating or something. Because I have been told that when people find out, whenever they find out after they've known me a while, they're like, I didn't know liberals could be Christian. I didn't know you were Christian. What does that mean? Are you, you know, or crazy, whatever, you know? I, I had a friend who um, brought their significant other to church here, and he, he had no experience with Christianity, but he was like, wow, you're really liberal, you're really progressive, comes to church, and his takeaway was, wow, it was really churchy. Yes. It, it, yes. Said, well, yeah, it couldn't be churchier. It's church. It is church, yeah. This church is church. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was funny. It was the idea, well, I, but I didn't, I thought if you thought, felt these ways, if you had these views, then the way you worship must be completely like a yoga studio. Yeah, yeah. Sort of a rainbow gathering, like let's yeah. all pound drums around a campfire. And I have done that, and I have loved it. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that. I love that That's stuff. True. And I have found great spiritual moments, you know, in very semi-alternative, you know, ways. But yeah, here it's a church. It's on the corner. There's a cross, right? It's we do the liturgy. Liturgy. We're and there's, churchy. That's true. There's some sacraments going on. I do on. think, can I just say, I think there's fairness in that criticism that people make that Christianity is just otherworldly. Mm. I mean, that's been a trend, in, particularly in American Christianity or Western Christianity, but I think especially American Christianity. And it's even been a trend that's been abused to tell people who are being oppressed, like, well, you'll get your <clears throat> your better life in heaven. Oh, yeah. You know? Just and, for Catholics, man. Wait well, till you're dead. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Um, and that's been used against people in all kinds of ways. So I, I think it's it, it would do we do well to listen to that, um, to that criticism. I think the other the flip side of that is people who say progressive Christians don't don't care anything about um, holiness or piety or mm. you know they're just they're just. You know, they're Come just like United may. Way plus Jesus or something. Yeah, you know, right. Like kind of, yeah. and, um, and so, <laughs> again, like, well, <laughs> I don't think that's quite fair. Like, but where is the, where's this, you know, does it have to be one or the other? We're just so, I'm just stating the obvious, we're just so polarized in, in our time around, like, you must be this thing or that thing. When uh -huh. I think many of us are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But that's not a very, that doesn't make for great media sound bites. <laughs> it really doesn't. Um Moving on to another question that uh, spiritual non-religious have is Christian. Well, question statement: Christianity stifles personal freedom. That kind of goes along with what we're talking about. I can see that it it certainly can culturally, depending on the church you grow up in, it certainly can stifle yeah, your absolutely. freedom, right? Absolutely. And yeah. I think that if you feel like you're joining a church that you it goes to that piety business where I come in and I have to act right and do right and be the this person that I may not be internally or inside or outside of church, that isn't the case everywhere. <clears throat> Everyone listening, that's mm -hmm. not the case everywhere, and that doesn't have to be the case for you. 
I was listening the other day to another podcast. <gasps> what? And uh, <laughs> uh, they were talking about uh, sex and sexuality, and um, and they had a, a, a woman who's a sex therapist on, and she was talking about, and the two the two hosts were talking about having grown up in really conservative religious households and how this really made it complicated for them to deal with their sexuality, and they just were, you know, it was very hard. And the, the therapist said, you know, there are. There are traditions, there are religious traditions where people grow up believing that their body is holy and that, that their sexuality is a gift and that they can be who they are and that they are loved. And both the hosts went, paused and went, where? What? I will join that. What? Right? You know, and I, I was taking a walk with my dog and I wanted to be like, wait, I hope that's my people. Like, I hope that's, <laughs> that's my people. Yeah. You know, but again, um, Culture pulls on that though. Yeah. We may say that, but you know. I don't know that that's what people, I mean, that's a really. It's not the, the majority experience. And that's a place where, you know, that people would say, well, see, progressive Christians are just capitulating to the culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess one of my responses to that was, isn't God still active in the world, though? Mm -hmm. Isn't God still working and moving and and doing things that challenge our powers and, and our the structures that exclude? It, I don't think God, like, shut the Bible and then, you know, was like... I'm done. Um, so that was interesting. Um, now that you guys are on your own. You're on your own. Bye-bye. You know, I don't want to be too sarcastic about that, but too late. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think, I think God can continue to, to expand our ideas of how we see the image of God in each other. I, I don't think mm -hmm. that's capitulating to culture. I think that's being willing to listen to what God is up to. So let's talk about uh, one more of these statements. Um, well, maybe a couple more of them. One kind of flows right into it. says, science is a conflict with Christian faith. So that's just exactly what we're talking about. I mean, something yeah. shifted. Culturally, right. we, we learned about science. People figured out science. And now they're like, well, that doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think that he was the one who came up with this idea or described it this way. He described it, um, <clears throat> the idea that we've created a god of the gaps. So God is our explanation for stuff we don't understand. Hmm. The problem with our, that approach is every time you understand something, you don't need God for that anymore. Huh. And so a lot of what people used to explain as like, that's an act of God, is now something we have the science yeah, rained, or the medicine yeah, or the whatever to understand. And so gradually, like God has less room if God used to be our explanation for things we don't understand. And if that is the case, then science and God or science and faith can't coexist right um or some people say it is the same thing it's one and yeah. the same thing yeah mm -hmm. i mean it will surprise no one who's listening to this podcast that um i think i think science is a gift from god right i think, <laughs> I think the bible talks about how <clears throat> the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom not the end you mm -hmm. know and, and there's all kinds of ways you can read read biblical stories about possibly you know sort of ancient forms of science so uh-huh so a god of the gap, and so the alternative is again. I think is it is God against our culture, against our world, or working within it, right? So mm -hmm. if if science and 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 experimentation and continuing to learn is part of how God is active in the world, and and maybe our stories about like for example creation, we talked about this before. If that's not if that was never meant to be a science story, right? We can free it from this competition and we say how does this story help us understand our place in the world our relationship to each other our call to take care of stuff I mean yeah. that's an urgent question for us right now right 
And I don't, I don't need the Bible to tell me how the world came to be. I do need to be challenged in how I'm stewarding it, though, how we are mm, stewarding it. Powerful. I need that. Yeah, that's what I always kind of default to because I'm I absolutely believe in science and people are like how can you hold those two things in your head at the mm-hmm. same time and I'm like, well, it's not a competition. That doesn't I again, I don't care about how the I care about, but I don't need the Bible to tell me how. It's why. Yeah. Like why am I here? You know, these meta meta questions that are in my head and how how do I walk through the world? You know, not how is the world? How yeah. how did it become yeah. to be? So that leads into a question that is also difficult. They are asking Christianity is just a crutch for the week, that statement. A crutch for the week. Now I think um long ago Pastor Mike said something about this and he, he kinda said it is and what's wrong with that. He he challenged it. He was just like, yes, it is for me, and I use it. Yeah. Um, And I was like, all right. I would say the same. I mean, I think, I think we are. I am weak. We Mm -hmm. all are weak at times, and and it is also a story that brings meaning. And I think all of us live by stories, whether we acknowledge them or not. Um, America is a story. I'm so glad that you brought this up. Set of stories. And right. we have been ignoring a lot of many, those stories. Many, many stories. Mm-hmm. But um, democracy is a story. Yes. Um, you know, our individual ethnic backgrounds are stories, and they give us meaning. And and we can live by very destructive stories, too. Absolutely. So I think um, the Bible gives us a story that brings life and meaning, and I think we all need that. If the Bible isn't your story, that's okay. I'm not. That's not the end of the world for me, but that... But, but we all have stories. Mm-hmm. So I think part of what we get to do is, as, as listening to the Bible is kind of interrogate the stories we carry around with us, the stories that tell us who we are, and say, you know, wait a minute, the story that I was given of shame or, or pain or whatever it is, maybe that's not, maybe the Bible's telling me I'm something more than that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not that. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I actually, I studied theater as an undergrad and many many times people that i met were just dismissed it out of hand and basically said it's useless and really denigrated the entire art form essentially and i know that you can't make loads of money usually doing something like that degree but now as an adult i look back and think oh my god it's all about stories it's just acting out stories our collective stories and really in the end that's all we are we're just Mm -hmm. Yep. the stories you know when I look at I we were just talking about science and I love science but it's like that's a story in itself it you is. know it's an evolving story right right yep. and so learning to tell and to be related to via story is critical to the that, human race honestly if I could pick a way to describe myself like on a plane you know when somebody sits next to me and I'm desperate to talk to them because I hate flying. But I don't want to tell them what I do because if anything happens, like it's all bumpy in the air and I start screaming, I feel like that would interrupt (laughs) their idea of what a pastor should be. So if someone was asking me and I could just pick a a title for myself, I would say I'm a storyteller. That's that's how I want to think of my work because it's not just the biblical stories, but also the stories that we of each other. When when I do funerals, I don't get up and say, so and so was five foot five, they right. weighed 140 pounds, <laughs> their blood pressure was 140 over 80. Oh you know, like God. who cares? That those are the facts, but it's the stories we're here to tell yes. that's who we are. And 
I just think, boy, we that that's also maybe where we can begin to reconnect with each other. Yeah. And I'm in business right now in a corporate world, and it's all about storytelling as well. If you mm -hmm. want to get anything done, yes, you're going to need to find data to support your story. But if you don't have a story, if you don't have a vision, if you don't have a this is what's going to happen and this is the end result of it, here's the data to back it up, that story is not going to Pastor Katie's phone. <laughs> she said she was going to turn it off. <laughs> I did. Why did it go off? It's on mute. It's oh, okay. <laughs> One last thing, we're going to wrap it up here really soon, but this leads into the statement that drives people away as well from Christianity is Jesus Christ was only a great moral teacher. So this is probably another whole separate episode, but there is that sense of like, Jesus is the Christ and you must accept him as your personal savior, Christ. And other people are being like, well, he said a lot of awesome things. He was a great moral teacher. What distinguishes that? That would be a, we should get into this in another episode. I guess I'll give you my standard Lutheran answer, which is why do we have to choose? Mm. Why are we always being forced to choose one or the other? I think Jesus was a great moral teacher. I also think he was the embodiment of God in a way that, that is not, I can't entirely explain or understand. I think Jesus pushes us, challenges us to make the world closer to the kingdom of God. But I also think Jesus does for us, um, connects us, forgives us, gives us life in ways that we just can't do on our own. Um, and I guess there's a, a ornery part of me that when forced to choose between two things, always says, well, I don't want to. <laughs> I, think there's, I think there's a middle way. It's both. Well, we were sharing a mic, so Danielle didn't say a lot to this podcast. But I'm characteristically quiet. I'm characteristically quiet. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time again. Yeah, thank Pastor you all. Katie. This is so fun. And everyone write in to us, challengingchristianitypodcast at gmail.com. hslckirkland.org. For more of this great theology and check out the sermons. If you don't want all that liturgy stuff, you can actually just listen to the sermon, which is so great about online <laughs> stuff. Not that you shouldn't. I'm getting a lot of laughs. Yeah, it's, it it's, it's choose your own adventure at Holy Spirit Choose online your own worship. adventure. I'm going to back out my statement. <laughs> you can have all liturgy, you can all sermon, all... or a little both. <laughs> it's all wonderful. <laughs> um, but in the case that you're dabbling you know, the sermons, and also, oh, I want to plug um, Crossways, um, Pastor Mike's Crossways class, that is fabulous, gets really into detail of many of the topics that we just gloss over on this podcast. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.